want to think uh, today, spend a bit of time talking about, as I said, worship. And that can uh, probably raise all kinds of strange pictures in terms of, uh, oh my word, here we go again. We're going to be beaten up for not being more enthusiastic. You like that? Oh, okay. So we're also doing healing ministry for those of you who like to be beaten up. Yeah. I'm not going to beat you up at all. I basically want to encourage us. You know, you can't, this is the encouragement, you can't worship on your own. I always use the example of worshiping, trying to make it work, is a bit like trying to get excited when you go to a hockey arena and there's no team to watch. Because that's how I think it feels to a lot of people, that there's an element of, I don't know what everybody's getting excited about. There's nothing on the ice and people are all going, yay, yay, yay. And you, you see, you don't go, one thing the Canucks do not do, they do not have somebody to teach the people how to cheer. You don't go into the Canucks arena an hour before to get a half hour prep talk on how to worship. You don't have to. Because when they come on the ice and when they start playing, what happens? The guy who sits in church and says, I'm not emotional, goes, yay! And the person who says, I don't actually... I'm not comfortable with this, behaves like a lunatic. I gave this talk years ago on the other side of town and I had a whole bunch of, to be blunt, crusty old men who were like that. Then I went to the Oktoberfest one week, one year. Everybody worships. Everybody moves. Everybody raises their hands. Everybody screams. Everybody gets a little silly. It all depends what's coming out from inside. And the best way to sort of say, I want to grow in worship, is to begin to say, if I want to get excited by something, I need to invest some time in it. I've been in Canada now since 1985. I've invested absolutely no time in hockey. And I've invested absolutely no time in basketball. The result is, I never watch it. It doesn't move me. I couldn't care less. If I go to England and I watch the cricket, which some of you can't even fathom, or I watch tennis, or I watch rugby, I, go, I can still get those juices going because I've invested time in it. I know what it is. I know how it's played. I know some of the subtleties. The same is true with everything. Worship is not a strange thing. Worship is actually part of our DNA. We are geared for it. It all depends on what causes that to rise up in us. And sometimes the things that cause those to rise up in us should cause us some alarm. But when you read the whole area, the, the whole story and the events of Christmas and the events of Jesus being born and Mary being a, the angel appeared to Mary and, and the angelic appearances to the shepherds, one of the things that is almost is, is everywhere at every time when people are coming, the shepherds or the wise men, all around this infant birth is, is wonder or fear and emotional response. There is, there is nothing... You can't read that, 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 uh, those scriptures. You can't read the account of Jesus' birth and the events around that birth without that seeing people were impacted because the living God impacts us. And so one of the keys, guess what? One of the keys to, John, if you're not interested in hockey and it doesn't evoke anything, well, what's it going to do? It will evoke because I've actually, I think in the playoffs about five years ago, I, I sort of got a little interested and there was a little evoke. There's no point in me going to the hockey arena and trying to be enthusiastic, but there is a point in getting alongside someone like Wayne who, who loves the sport and, and then 
saying, well, tell me a little bit about it or watch it with them and, and you know, eventually something might rub off. So it's not about feeling guilt. It's about recognizing why don't I have more of a response. And if you want more of a response with God, then begin to or continue or start to look at Jesus and start to ask him to give you a sense of amazement. You see, the amazing thing about Jesus was that he actually came because he wanted, God the Father wanted to tell you that he loves you and that he thinks you're worth irritating, bugging, putting people around you to get your attention. He actually thinks you're worth it because he sees you as somebody who maybe is lost and he wants to find you because he loves you. He loves you more than you love your children. He is actually passionate for you. And there's something deeply humbling about somebody coming up and saying, I think you're worth this. And you go, me? That's when you get amazed. That's what amazing grace is. That God would so love that he would actually come into my space and pick me up in my, mud, my muddy, incomplete state and say, I absolutely adore you. There's an, the heart cry of all of us is to, to grow in being loved, being worthwhile, having purpose, confidence, isn't it? And there's an element where only so, you can read only so much. It's, it's got to go deeper in. Better use some notes today. I looked at that, I started reading you that psalm, Psalm 148. It's all about the whole universe worshipping God. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his command they were created and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above all the earth and the heavens. I, used, I mean, I've read that quite a lot of times, and you go, well, yeah, yeah, so. But for some reason I read it this time, and it was like everything created uh, is created to give glory to God. And it's, it's like the sun, the stars, the moon, everything, the most biggest thing we can see is designed to give glory to him because he's so much bigger. So nothing is outside that realm. Everything is created to give God glory. And giving God glory means... Um, I went to the Tate Gallery in, in England on the last trip and I, I saw, if you've heard of Turner, he's one of the famous English painters. He does these beautiful light um, pictures in oil and uh, scenes of the Thames and stuff. When, when you look at a Turner painting, it glorifies Turner. If you look at that painting or that painting or what any, anything we do, it glorifies the one who created it. And if it's not very good, it doesn't glorify it. There's an element of everything created bears witness to the, thing, the person who created. And so God is the one who is worthy of all the creation and all the worship. And the, the, the thing that struck me about the psalm was there's no exception. Nothing's left out. Nothing's so great that it doesn't need to worship God. And, and, and what sort of came in focus for me as I read that psalm and about everything is created to worship God. And it's not this duty thing. It's just I love to. Because all of creation, when it worships God, is totally fulfilled. And what does that mean? Because you see, God doesn't have an ego. God doesn't need to be worshipped. He doesn't go around saying, oh, I'm not getting enough worship. Holy Spirit, go and do something about it. They're not worship. I'm not feeling worshipped enough. He doesn't need it. It's just that worship is the response to, it's like going to the Canucks game. And if nobody said anything, the players would stop, probably stop and say, what's going on here? Somebody died? There's no response. So there's an element of, 
the, the human race was taken prisoner and captured and lost sight of God. So they lacked worship. So they began to worship created things. Because in our DNA, we will worship. You worship. You worship your job. You worship your wife. You worship your husband. You worship your children. Whatever it is, you worship yourself. Hmm. It's, it's a cult these days. I spend so much to make myself look good because I'm going to worship myself. Everybody worships. You are created to worship. You, cre- you worship the dysfunction. Whether it's sex or drugs or whatever it is, you worship it. Anything that takes your passion is what you worship. Not all of that's bad. It's just part of your DNA. You will worship. And God says healthy human beings come to a place of recognizing him, not because he needs the worship. He just goes, that's when we really start humming. You see, worship is also linked with humility. I mean, what's it like when you see somebody who's accomplished something and they stand there and say, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes. More applause, please. A lot of the Hollywood stuff is that. A lot of sports stuff is that. A lot of politicians is that. It's all about what I can do for you. There's something beautiful when somebody has accomplished something and they go, I just want to thank my team. And I don't like the way they do this often, but in a sense, if you spoke to them one-on-one, and I want to thank God for, for bearing with me. You see, I think humility is not about, oh, it's nothing, it's not really me. I think humility is knowing deep down exactly who I am. And then when something powerful happens through me or you that's good, you have the presence of mind and you have this, the paradigm that goes there but for the grace of God. And there's something very powerful about people who are truly humble where they go, I know who I am and this is just a really cool moment, but let's be real. Don't worship me. I'm just going to say thank you to God because he enabled this to happen. And I'm also dependent on all the people around me. So every person who's ever received, done anything wonderful is always supported by a bunch of other people. There's all, there's all kinds of grace around them. And that's what Jesus was. He so loved the world that he gave up his son and his son came into this world. And what did Jesus say all the time? He said, I can't do anything. I can do absolutely nothing without my father. You see, vanity in the Christian world is actually translated into theology. The people who say, I don't believe in God's spirit. I don't believe he heals. I don't believe he speaks in prophetic words. I don't believe in the supernatural. And what that actually means is, I don't believe God is as great as he is. And anything that gets beyond my control, I won't allow to happen. And when you do that, it means that you're not humble. You're actually very proud. Humility is about going, I am nothing, but God can work through me. So when we call together after, every time I talk, I say, stand up, let's ask God to be. I'm trying to facilitate an encounter between you and God. I can't do anything. I can talk, and some of my talking is probably a waste of time. Some of it might be helpful. Some of it, I don't know, let's be real. It's a mixed bag. But ultimately, we're saying, God, will you touch us? Will you encounter us? I cannot do that. What I can do is I can talk to your head and never give, facilitate an encounter. And the reason I'm going to not facilitate an encounter is because I'm scared. I'm scared that nothing will happen, so I don't give any room for it. But if I stop being scared and go, unless there is encounter, unless God's spirit actually works, and that means he touches your heart or something comes to light and he reminds you of something or encourages you of something or he releases healing, unless that happens, none of this makes any sense. It's like going to the Canucks game and there's no game. The only way we're going to worship God is as we experience him. If you want to worship God with greater passion, then draw closer to Jesus. Don't try and worship. 
Oh, I'm going to actually contradict myself in a minute. Don't try and worship nothing. Find out who Jesus is because in Jesus' presence, something will be evoked. That's why I say to people, if you want to grow spiritually, listen to your heart. Listen to it. Don't shut it down. Don't censor it. Don't always apologize for it. Listen to it. Ask God to release your emotions. Believe me, from a highly dysfunctional, emotional cripple like me, that's been a journey and still is. But you start by being aware there's more and then you ask for it and then you position yourself. Does that make sense? Everywhere around Jesus, as he was born, as he lived, as he walked this earth, as he was, everything he did evoked response and evoked some kind of engagement with him. So if you want to grow in 2015 in your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with God, draw close to Jesus. And one of the reasons we sing songs of worship here is to help facilitate that. One of the ways that you will grow in your spirit is to feed it. It's like everything else. If I want to get passionately involved in what the Canucks are doing this year, I might as well find out what they're doing. Then I might as well watch some games. might as well stick with one example. And then find out who they are. There's an old joke that says, if you want your wife or girlfriend to be interested in the sport, watch it with her and start talking about the relationships of the men or the women, their home relationships. You know, talk about them as people. Because very often it's that that will evoke the interest. Whatever it is that gets somebody interested. But it's got to be fun. It's got to be something worthwhile. And we have worship here to help facilitate that sense of getting things in alignment. See, when you get depressed and when you get discouraged and when you get down, it's because you're at the center of your life. It's, a not, it's not a good place to be. It's a very alone place. It's a very angry place. It's a very abandoned place. You at the center of your life is not good news for you. I don't know if you've found that out, but it's not. It's a place of depression. It's a place of discouragement. It's a place of self-hatred. It's not a place of life. You were never meant to be at the center. You are and you're not. But you can always tell when, I can tell when I'm at the center because that's what starts coming out. Me starts coming out in a negative way. When Jesus comes to the center of our life, he begins to, first of all, meet us where we are and again say, you are loved. You don't have to perform. You do belong. I hold you in my hand. You are not an orphan. You need not be afraid of the future. I have you in the palm of my hand. You are the apple of my eye. A lot of ministry in church is about helping people actually enter into that reality. That's it. If we could all actually enter into that reality, we would transform this country. Just that. Knowing who we are, having a sense of purpose, having a sense of belonging, having a sense of identity, moving from our hearts outward. Does that make sense? So one of the things, people are afraid of God. They're afraid of His intimacy. They're afraid of what He might say. They're afraid of getting too emotional. Don't be afraid. You're already emotional. See, all these things are already in us. Even the most unemotional person is highly emotional. They've just got big barriers. And the lack of expression is going to, is going to impact. And Jesus comes into this world to begin to say to people, this is what you are meant to be. This is who you're created to be. So worship is the beginning and end of all life. What happens when... Uh, I'm really just saying one thing today, as you might have noticed. What happens when a very important person walks into the room? If some great superstar or some very important person walked into this room, the chances are you might stand and applaud. Something would happen because that's the response. They don't have to say to you, look, when this person comes in, there will be something that rises up in you and then you will want to respond. And if it was somebody like a Mother Teresa, something deeper would even rise up in you. 
and you would want to respond. And you'd probably get tears in your eyes because you'd see a little woman and she is so profoundly weak and yet she's so profoundly strong. And you would go, I don't get it, but something's moving me. It's just the way it is. We are created to worship and respond. And the more alive we are, the more we are sensitive to these things, the more we do respond. The the less we respond, the less we feel, the more we need to say, Jesus, please heal me. Please work in me. So a great thing for 2015 would be, let me grow in worship. Worship means to kiss. The Greek for worship is to kiss. Proskunio. It's the only Greek word I know. And it's, it's about receiving from God in order to respond to Him. God, God doesn't say to you, you have to worship you, me. He just goes, let me give you a hug and you will respond eventually. You'll do this for a while. And he says, chill out. And eventually you'll chill out. And then you'll find He loves you and He's nice and He's not going to kill you. Because if He had wanted to do that, He would have done that already. And then He will draw, He'll melt you. But you see, God calls us into places with other people so that we can become more whole. Now, the practical side of worship is really simple. How many of you feel like getting up in the morning, particularly a morning like this morning? How many of you feel like even coming to church or going to work? There are many, 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 many things we don't feel like doing, but we have to do or we ought to do. The people, the people who get in trouble are the ones who listen to their feelings. I didn't feel like it. Oh, how was that workout? Well, I slept late and I uh, woke up with a bad mood. And yeah, 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 yeah. That tends to feed a victim mentality and tends to feed a lot of negativity. I'm getting old. I can feel it. And I don't like it. And I'm still trying to play squash, which is a young man's sport. And I sit in front of the fire and go, and I didn't think I'd ever say this, I don't feel like going to play. This was like yesterday. It's on, I usually play on a Monday and a Saturday. And I go, I don't feel like playing. And I go, but I'm getting fat. So I've got to do something. Uh, it's not helping, but it's you know, psychological. And uh, so I, I get the bag out and, and I kind of go, oh, well, I'll go. And everything's aching. It was the last time. And I went yesterday and I go, oh, I don't feel like it. And then I get to the court and I get to the changing room and you sort of get to the changing room and you begin to feel, oh, well, I'm going to play now. It's beginning to change. And then you get changed and you go out of the court and the other guys are there and you start hitting the ball. You go, oh, I'm, you know, I'm glad I came. By the time I'm finished, I'm all warmed up. It doesn't really matter, but I'm glad I came. Now, that's exactly the same as worship. Some of us, it's like you walk into church like I walk into the squash court and I don't even have my bag with me. I stand in the squash court and I just look around. And then I go home and say, I didn't get much out of that. That's what a lot of people do. There's the old phrase of, you know, putting a, a stone in a cookie jar doesn't make you a cookie. Putting somebody in a church doesn't make, make anything happen. It all depends on whether you bring your bag with you. It all depends on whether you recognize. I recognize that I need the discipline of exercise, but I don't always like it. But if I actually take some steps, the rest takes care of itself. The same is true with worship. My body is in total rebellion to God. And our fallen nature is in total rebellion to God. I do not want to be in His presence. I want to run the show. I want to do what I want to do. We just need to settle that matter. Instead of rationalizing it and using it as our personality and our background and our culture and all this nonsense, and just recognize that we actually are deeply rebellious. But there's a God who has said, if you will come to me, I will be with you. And I will bring about a transformation that you never imagined. The thing that you have to do is you've got to get that body of yours into somewhere. Not into trouble, but into places where it can be fed. And that's why there's this battle. That's why you go, oh, I don't feel like it. 
That's why some of us, you're so sporadic, you don't keep up with anything because you keep on moving off somewhere else. You, keep, you get distracted. Whatever shiny object comes in, somebody phones you up and suddenly you change your mind. You have to begin to, I put my squash in, I put some things in my diary that you, you, know, you, you probably have to die to get my attention. There's an element of just I'm not going to veer from that. And you need to place in your life disciplines that actually bring life to your spirit. I promise you it will not happen on your own at home with Jesus. It will not happen. I've been part of churches for 45 years and I've led a lot of people who say, oh, I just do it on my own. They never grow. They never mature. They never have any muscle. They're very self-centered. God exists for their gratification. It is pitiful. They need lots of attention because they're never strong enough to do anything for themselves because they avoid the engagement that comes with people. One of the things that's challenging in this church right now, and I'll say this without making any great uh, disclosures, but there's lots of relational grittiness right now around here. People getting irritated with each other. God, kill them. Take them out of here. I'm exaggerating. But that's exactly why we are here. Because it's in the relational struggle that God actually begins to work in us so that he can work through us. Just the way it is. And if we avoid it, we just actually stay in immaturity. You see, Worship is about saying, God, my life is your life. How do you want to spend it? And you come to the place, as I I read your quote last week, it says, he's much better at my life than I am. It's coming to that place of going, I really need him to be my best friend. And I need you because through you, he becomes my best friend. Because I don't trust me and him on my own. It's the me part I don't trust. I don't trust that I hear enough. I don't trust that I reflect enough. I don't trust that I'll do enough. I need the people around me to be my friends, to help me on that journey. I'm totally interdependent. I need the discipline of coming. It isn't, you know who benefits from these services? I do. Much more than you do. Because I have to do it. I have to. I want to. You know what I mean. So there's a sense of I have to sit down and say, what are we going to talk about this week? And then it has to sit in me for the whole week. And then I look at the worship and go, well, how does that work? And there's an element, the more I invest in me, the more that begins to go, this is, this is bringing me to life. And the same is true for all of us. So I close with this. Let God waken your DNA. Let God waken you so that you become amazed with him. Just amazed at his love for you. Amazed that he is actually faithful. Amazed that he's not finished with you. Amazed that he will actually continue to walk with you if you will walk with him. But you have to give him some discipline. You have to show up for some things. You have to commit to some things. I can't make it any sweeter for you. Look at the shepherds. I'm going to give you five points in three minutes. The shepherd's coming to Jesus when he's born. Shepherds in their field, they're the stinking people, they're people who are not wanted. The star appears. Something catches their attention. The beginning of worship, something captures your attention that says, I'm not self-sufficient. I'm struggling with something. I need something more than me. Something captures your attention. Pay attention to that. And, and pray for God that you will never be in a state where you don't look for that star. In other words, you will never come to the place where you say, I've arrived. I don't need any more revelation. I actually have a very good handle on this. Talk to your friends about how you are manifesting the love of Jesus and you will be looking for stars. Because they will say, well, frankly, you come across as a little opinionated and I think you actually have a lot of attitude here and there. And I'm not talking about me, of course, but, you, you know, and... And I think you need some work. And you go, give me a star, God. Give me a star. You see, the star is the need. And it leads you to Jesus. 
And the shepherds were in the field and the, the angels appeared and they glorified God, which was meaning they were saying, praise God, and the, angel, the shepherds were saying, they're just sheep here. But when the angels were present, everything was changed. And they had a perspective of the supernatural and the natural that was amazing. And so it caused them to awaken something. And they said, maybe there's something to this. And they followed it. You've got to follow. You've got to go somewhere. They went to the stable. And in the presence of Jesus, something happened. I don't know what it was. I just think something happened. God was present. And when you take your body and you plunk it somewhere where there's the presence of God, something will happen. If you allow that, something will happen. If you're like me, I don't feel lots of things. Some people get all kinds of vibes. I wish I did, but I don't. I just believe. So I'm here and I believe God is present. And the shepherds had that sense of awe and wonder because they made the journey. If you want to grow this year, make the journeys to Jesus. Make the journeys where other people are present and see what happens. And God will begin to awaken something in you. And if you want to worship, if you want to grow in worship, take initiatives. I've said this many times. I'm going to come and I'm going to worship God even if I die. What does that mean? I'm going to put my hands up. Why? Because it's good for me. Why? Because I'm actually quite shy, believe it or not. And I struggled with worship a lot because I was embarrassed and awkward. And eventually God just said, so who's going to do this? Are you or me? And I said, well, you can if you want. He said, I've already died on a cross for you. And I tentatively did this. And it was all terrifying. But something broke. And somewhere along the line, I have to do something. And I'm just going to say, God, I want to worship you and I want to give you honor. And I notice that when I do that, something changes in me. It's a bit like going to that squash court. I make a choice to do it because my body is highly dysfunctional and my spirit is not great and it needs a lot of disciplining. So it needs to be dragged by the scruff of the neck sometimes. And by the time we finish, my spirit's leading the way out saying, hey, body, that wasn't that bad, was it? And the body going, no, I guess not. And that's in the right place. If you want to get victory over your body, if you want to get victory over addiction, if you want to get victory over a relationship, if you want to get victory over anything to do with your physical life, let, your, let God's Spirit touch you. Let's stand and ask Him, shall we? Ask Him to fill you, to refresh you. Open your spirit to Him. You're fearfully and wonderfully made and you're created for God's love to dwell in you. I remember once saying here, ask God to punch a hole between your neck and your heart and to flow through so that your heart gets touched by his presence. If you don't understand his presence or you don't know what that feels like, then just ask him. Just say, God, I ask you this year that I would actually experience your presence. You would touch my heart. Some people have come in and they've said, I don't feel anything. I said, well, just ask Jesus to touch your heart and you'll notice that you actually start uh, crying more or want to cry more. Father, I pray over everyone here, anyone here is emotionally shut down. And I just invite you to invite God to just melt you. Because the Spirit of God says, do not be afraid. I've come to bring you life. I love you. And you know, you don't have to keep all these resolutions you try to make. You will break them all by January the 15th. And if you're really good, by March. And God says, if you let me in from the inside, I will help you keep resolutions that you never ever thought you would even make. Thank you, Father, for the gift of worship. That you, you, you call us to life by what we value. Thank you there's no condemnation in you. So you ask God in your own way right now, what, what do you want from Him? What could He help you with? Where do you see yourself as stuck? For everything that's negative in you, just receive the positive that He gives by His Spirit. So it's your will 
that activates the spirit. It's just like turning on a cell phone. If you never tell the self, turn a cell phone on, it never picks up the signal. And the free will that you and I have is the turning on to God that says, here I am, Lord. I'm turning myself on to you. I'm opening my heart to you. I'm saying, will you engage with me? And he says, of course I will. Absolutely. So Holy Spirit, will you just come upon us right now? He wants to set ablaze passion in some of your hearts. Some of you are dry. And he's not condemning you, but he just wants to set aflame your heart light it with a passion and a warmth of his love. Just let him do it. Just say, Jesus, I've grown dry or, or these words, I wish they were true, but they don't feel true for me. And he says, well, let me burn inside you. So, Father, I pray that you release a burning passion in those who haven't felt that maybe ever. For others, Father, will your rain fall on them and bring refreshing For others, you've got into the center of your life and your life is a mess or it's certainly not peaceful. And Jesus is standing by your side saying, will you let me be at the center? Because I'll bring you to I'll give you strength. I'll give you encouragement. I'll lead you. I'll give you a passion for things that bring you life, not for things that rob you of your life. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And one of the ways to to let passion begin to flow in you is to begin to thank God. You just thank Him. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're present. Thank you, Lord, that you are living in me. Thank you that you're working. Thank you that you're strengthening me. Thank you that I don't need to be afraid, that I'm not an orphan. Thank you that you care about me. And as you thank, things begin to flow as well. So we're going to break bread together. And we're just going to... It's it's the symbol that we have, the tangible symbol of God's love for us poured out in a particular time in history. And why that's important is because my feelings rule so much. I need moments where I look at history and I look at outside events and say, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I need the scriptures. That's why I need history. That's why I need my brothers and sisters. And Father, I pray that you show each person here one thing they can chase after this year, one thing that they can engage with you for and believe for. That will bring them life. So bless you, Jesus. Thank you. We do this quite often. But place your hand on the person next to you and just ask God to bless them. Just bless them with whatever he has for them. Don't talk to them. Just bless them. Just bless them. Pour out your spirit, Father. Fill them up. Fill them up. And Father, I pray that you bless them and deposit into them what you have for them, not what they are asking you for because that might not be nearly as big as what you have. I just pray that you pour into each person your love, your presence, your supernatural joy. And that over these next days, they will sense something changed. And they'll remember this moment and say, oh, it works. So, Father, I bless your word. And I pray you feed us in our spirits as we share in the breaking of bread now.